Alrighty, folks. Is there anything more predictable than giving Patrick Mahomes the football back with two minutes left in overtime of the Super Bowl? I don't think so. I don't think so. And among the things that are uh, scripted and predictable, we are going to talk about seven things that are going to happen in rulemaking for the rest of the year. Can you imagine being so good at football that when you uh, just won the Super Bowl, after you tell everybody you're going to Disneyland, of course, right? Disneyland, not Disney World. Um, after you tell everybody, they say, well, well, tell me, tell us about that last play that you won the Super Bowl with. He goes, yeah, we ran corn dog. Like how, like the name of the play was corn dog. We ran yep. corn dog to win the Super Bowl. Yep. It's a match made in heaven. That's Andy Reid for you. That's Andy Reid. What else is a match made in heaven? my guy is uh, apparently rules and rulemaking timelines. And it's funny that we go straight from uh, sitting down with a few lawyers and hanging out with people that talk a lot of stuff that I definitely didn't understand. But, um, and then we go into a lot of stuff that you understand and a lot of stuff that's really important to the dib. And that's like rules um, that are pending on the horizon and other things of note that we should keep track of uh, coming up. And how many of them do we have, Jacob? Yeah, well, ironically enough, okay, I know that this is a trend, this, but this dude. is not this is not on purpose. There, we have seven things that we have to cover, and it just ended up being seven. It'll make sense as we get through the list. Before we get into the list of uh, th- items on the rulemaking calendar for the rest of the year, a little bit of housekeeping. CS2 Boston is coming yes, up sir. first week in April. The discount code Summit Up Boston is in the show notes below for a discount on registration. In person, virtual, it's a hybrid event. So whichever one uh, works better for you for attending. It's always a popular event. Biggest, longest running uh, cybersecurity event focused specifically on DFARS, NIST, CMMC uh, compliance and issues facing the DIB uh, on the conference circuit in this space. So uh, check it out. We'll link to the event website. The agenda's up. Discount code is live. And uh, we hope to see you there. Okay. So for 2024... Uh, there are going to be a bunch of things happening that uh, are going to be equally as crazy and as impactful as the CMMC proposed rule at the end of 2023. So jumping right into things, the first one that people should be aware of is the DIBCS final rule. So the DIBCS final rule, uh, the, the essence of the rule is it expands eligibility for participation in DOD's DIBCS program uh, to non-cleared defense contractors. So the DIBCS program has been around for over 10 years. It's sort of DOD's primary threat intel information sharing forum. And uh, that entire time, it has been limited to only allowing cleared defense contractors to participate, which is a little counterproductive when you consider that the majority of the DIB uh, is made up of non-cleared defense contractors, and the threats that are affecting the DIB are targeting those companies rather than just the cleared defense contractors. Uh, now, the reason why this is important is <clears throat> the DIBCS rules eligibility expansion is one of the main talking points that the DOD uses uh, to describe the uh, tools and resources that they are making available to the DIB in order to help with cybersecurity. So when people say CMMC is a burden, NIST 800-171 is a burden, uh, all of this stuff is burdensome, the DUD will turn around and they'll say, we have all these tools and resources that we make available to you. And they typically lead with 
Project Spectrum, the DibCS program. So it is uh, not a coincidence that they are pushing the DibCS rule before they are pushing the CMMC rule because when that rule goes final and then the CMMC rule comes up to go final, they'll be able to point to this now expanded eligibility and availability uh, as an example of what they're doing to make the burden lesser. So I just thought about this. We went from it being 1,200 or so roughly eligible contractors to now open to anybody that is contracting with the DOD at this point, really, is essentially what this rule proposes. Right. And so we always talk about, and everybody's like, you got to get these solutions. They have this. They have that. These are great things to get you started. Now that I'm looking at it and what it's offered, it not necessarily does it fulfill compliance requirements because we know how much of that, that, that it does fill. But I think now what you see is uh, like maybe this is the DOD's effort to get people more involved in the intel um, and the information sharing that is involved so they can use that as like defense or arguments um, to help make decisions, right, to get the buy-in from the culture, right? You can say, now, look, this right here, min let's talk about Midnight, Blaz uh, Midnight Blizzard, right? This affects us directly. This is something that can affect us directly. And here is documentation. Here is supporting evidence from... CISA from NSA or whoever that, you know, you receive the information from um, that shows this is the reason why it's very important for us to do these things that the DOD is asking us to do with regards to cybersecurity regulations. Would you, do you think so? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was actually an interesting comment thread on LinkedIn a couple of days ago where people said, hey, you know, there's the NSA DIB cyber services, there's the DIB CS program, there's all this mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, people tagged me and asked me what I thought about it. And I've always said the same thing. Uh, the services by themselves are fine, uh, if not great in some situations. But as you said, for those of you that are new here, they don't map to the requirements uh, very much at all. Uh, very little of the actual requirements in 800-171 that are validated by CMMC are actually facilitated by the services that DOD and the rest of the government put out as answers to what about these requirements. There's a mismatch. And fundamentally, these programs really reflect the priorities of the government first, rather than the most pressing priorities of companies that are wrestling with the requirements. And it's the best example of that is anytime you hear CISA talk about this, anytime you hear DOD talk about it, anytime you hear NSA talk about it, you always hear about this threat intel information sharing cycle where you report incidents up to the government, the government then funnels this information and indicators of compromise down into the supply chains, and then this virtuous cycle starts to take place where the government can then use their resources to go out and target the bad guys and stop the activities and sort of use this broad view of what's going on to use the leverage of the government to affect a change. The problem with all of this is that the ability for companies to report an incident and the ability for them to ingest these indicators and threat intel reports and stuff like that is predicated on the idea that there are precursor controls that are in place. Do you have the logging and auditing and visibility into your environment that you can uh, use to interpret these incoming uh, reports? The logging and auditing and monitoring is based off of things like granular identity management, access control, segmentation, all of these basics that are in 171. So most of the resources that the government is putting out are at sort of a higher level of maturity. Uh, and they're not wrong. It's just that there's a big mismatch between 
what people need help with and what they're actually getting. Now, that isn't going to stop the talking points from them saying we are expanding eligibility, which is a good thing, but mm -hmm. it's not a silver bullet by any means. So the proposed rule for the DIBCS program came out in May. Uh, the DIBCS program cleared final OIRA review for the final rule on February 6th. So I would estimate that the publication of the final DIBCS rule would be sometime uh, the end of February or March of 2024. So here in, in Q1. So definitely keep your eye on that. Okay. The second item here, the 48 CFR CMMC proposed rule. So we've talked about this on previous shows. We talked about this on the Summit 7 webinar. There are two rules for CMMC. There's the 32 CFR rule, which codifies the overall program itself. And then there's the 48 CFR CMMC rule, which will revise the contract clause DFAR 7021 that actually shows up in your contracts that makes you go get a CMMC level. Um, they obviously work closely together. And in the 32 CFR rule that we got at the end of December, all of the timelines and estimates and rollouts and all that stuff are all based off of when the 48 CFR rule is going to come out. So it's important to pay attention to. Okay, so given OIRA's recent track record of uh, proposed rules versus interim final rules, this is probably going to be a proposed rule and not an interim final rule. And uh, that matters because that means there's going to be a big gap between when the 32 CFR rule goes final and when the 48 CFR rule goes final. And the reason that matters is because DOD's phased rollout of when they're going to insert the clause into various contracts will start when the 48 CFR rule is final, but assessments will be able to, uh, they will be available to companies who want them when the program is live. And that's when the 32 CFR rule goes final. So there can be a gap of many, many months between the 32 CFR rule going final and the clause rule going final, which will be very awkward because DOD will say, we're not putting this in contracts for anybody but your prime customers will say, go get your certification now. And your competitors will probably say, we're going to go get our certification now. So the way that we've been phrasing this is there will be a market rollout after the 32 CFR rule. And then there will be DOD's phased rollout after the 48 CFR rule. But that doesn't really matter because that might occur three, six, nine or more months after the final 32 CFR rule. So Based off of what's going on right now, the unified agenda that comes out twice a year says that the 48 CFR rule is supposed to be published in March, but it hasn't been sent to OIRA yet. And OIRA gets 90 days to review these rules, remember? So I would say that once OIRA receives it and they get 90 days to review, assuming that it goes up sometime soon, we might see the published proposed rule for 48 CFR sometime around May to OIRA and then actually out in the Federal Register sometime in the summer of this year. Uh, now, based off of the public comment period and then the adjudication of public comments that have to happen on that 48 CFR rule, that would mean that the final 48 CFR rule, the clause rule that starts DOD's phase rollouts, probably wouldn't be around until the first half of 2025 or later. And like I said, that's going to cause a significant gap with the 32 CFR rule because we're almost done as of this conversation with the comment period on the 32 CFR rule. DOD said they're already adjudicating comments. They're going to go very quickly. 
historical averages say they'll be done in early 2025. So there's at least going to be a gap of a few months here between these two clauses. So very important to pay attention to when the 48 CFR clause goes up to OIRA, when it gets published, and then how long that anticipated gap between 32 and 48 uh, will be at that point. Um, given like the, I don't want to say disappointing, but giving the lower um, numbers of comments that have been um, submitted for the 32 CFR rule, do you envision that the 48 CFR rule is going to be very popular with comments? Like we we heavily anticipated 32 CFR was just going to get bombarded and that was going to kind of slow down the process yeah. because all that would have to get adjudicated. Um, do you feel like that that's a case for 48 CFR simply just because it's how it goes into the contract and it's more... I would say it's more straightforward than the 32 CFR, which goes into all the programmatic details, right? I think it'll be even lower. I think it'll be yeah. even lower. Like at that point, let's say, so the comment period for this, the 32 CFR rule ends on February 26th. Let's say a couple, you know, and after that comment period ends, you, we won't hear anything. DOD can't really comment on anything until the rule is final. So sure. uh, people are going to be busy. You're going to be getting into Q2. You're going to be getting into summer. And uh, then all of a sudden, there's going to be this other CMMC rule that comes out. It's also a proposed rule. DOD isn't going to say anything because that's just not what they do anymore. Um, and so unless somebody is you know, listening to this podcast or following our content, they're not going to know that it happened. And if they do, they might not know why it's important. So uh, you know, the, the traffic and the comments on the current uh, 32 CFR rule are far lower than I expected them to be. Uh, at, at this point, um, you know, with about two weeks left on the comment period, obviously there's going to be a big influx at the end of the comment period, but I think there's like 200, 250 total comments altogether. Uh, there were 750 on the, uh, 2020 CMMC rule. So we're going to have to see a big increase to, to sort of match those numbers, let alone surpass those numbers, uh, on the CMMC document rule where it has all the guides and the individual parts of the CMMC rule. Um, there's barely any page views or traffic at all. So uh, I don't think that the 48 CFR rule will see a lot of attention, especially if it comes out in like the summer doldrums. DOD is not talking about it. People don't really know what the relationship is, but it is important to track because it will create a gap uh, between when the program is live and your customers say, go get an assessment, your competitors say, we're going to go get an assessment. And when mm -hmm. DOD will start their quote unquote phased rollout. So you're going to hear DOD continue to estimate when the rollouts will occur based off that rule. But that's not necessarily the one to pay attention to. It's the 32 CFR rule. So speaking of which, we got the 32 CFR proposed rule uh, for Christmas in 2023. The comment period is drawing to a close. When will we see the 32 CFR final rule? Uh, so remember, the 32 CFR rule is the rule that establishes and governs the overall program. It doesn't create the clause that shows up in your contracts. That's the 48 CFR rule. Okay, so recently there was a flurry of comments from industry groups requesting an extension to the comment period uh, beyond 60 days. There were industry groups requesting an additional 60 days of comments and the DOD rejected those requests. And uh, we have a quote here. They said, we are aware of the request and will remain uh, and will respond in accordance with the rulemaking procedures. DOD would like to thank all the companies who have taken the time to provide comments on the CMMC rule to date 
However, we do not intend to extend the public comment period at this time. Here's the spicy bit. We have already begun the adjudication process and will move to the next step rapidly after the close of the comment window. So why are we talking about the 32 CFR final rule in 2024 if historically it says that uh, you know the average timeline would have the 32 CFR rule come out in early 2025? Well, if the DOD is already starting their adjudication process and they're not waiting until the end of the 60 days to start going through everything, and we have a very low amount of total comments, um, you know, you can, we'll link to them below. You can go read them. A lot of the comments aren't even very long. Um, a lot of the comments are not even very detailed. They're just sort of like you had, some of them are like you had a typo and that's the whole comment. These are not, these are not like huge home run swings of like complete rule rewrites or like very thought out dissertations on reorganizing anything like that. Um, so I don't think the DOD is going to have a problem final doing their final adjudication of all these comments shortly after the comment period closes. And now this is a bit speculative, but we know that the DOD is going to be incredibly motivated to get the rule done and published before the election. Mm -hmm. So that's faster than average because averages say they'll be done in Q1 of 2025. But it just adds a lot of extra time when the new administration takes over, new Congress takes over. It doesn't necessarily change the validity of the rule at all. It just adds time. Um, and so historically, I'll, we'll link to this. GAO did a report, and it's it's called Midnight Rulemaking, is when they, uh, when they publish final rules in the final year of an administration. And it is a very well-documented pattern of behavior back through multiple, multiple administrations. So uh, they're not extending the comment period. They've preempted their adjudication process. There's not a lot of comments. We're in the final year of an administration when rules get done early. Uh, DOD has been wanting this rule to be done for a long time. Remember, originally they wanted an interim final rule. I do not think that it is that crazy to imagine that we'll see the CMMC 32 CFR final rule in late summer or early fall before the election in 2024. Remember, if that happens and we don't see the 48 CFR final rule until summer or later of 2025, you might have six or more months between the time that the CMMC program is live and assessments are available and the market sort of kicks off. And when the DOD officially starts their phased rollout of inserting the actual clause in contracts. Yeah, I think that the that rollout before the clause, so that market rollout, as, as you're calling it, I think that that market rollout is going to be more of a wave than the actual rollout of the DOD. Yeah, me too. Contracts. So yeah, like, I, I think that that's the point where not only are the primes and the subs that know that this is coming, um, getting their ducks in a row, um, but they're getting their supply chain ducks in a row, so to say, and making their supply chain get in a row. And I think that that's really when we start seeing the kickoff. And so yeah. Well, yeah, the, the crazy part about that, I, I agree with you that the market dynamics will have a much larger impact. Talking about the DIBCS rule as one of the things DOD gets to say, uh, DOD will say we haven't required anybody to get a CMMC certification. The 48 CFR rule isn't even done yet. So don't yell at us for being pressured. We, we don't even have a clause to insert in your contracts. If your prime customers, if your competitors are pressuring you to go get a cert, that's a problem with the market. That's not 
under our control by any means. I guarantee you that's something that they will say, no matter how big or small that gap is between those two rules. And it's true. Yeah, we, we've said this so many times that, that, that there is nothing, there's, there's no wall in place that stops the prime contractors from requiring this of their, their supply chain all the way throughout. Right. And it's not just because of current contracts and you may be touching CUI, but it's about positioning. What if uh, one day they come across a contract, you're a part of a supply chain and they want to secure something that requires level two certification at your level? They don't want you to be the reason that they're not getting that contract. So, yeah. And um, that was really the crux of the of the webinar that we had in January was, you know, do not do not focus on the phase rollout from the 48 CFR rule and expect that that's the timeline that will be your reality. It is when the 32 CFR rule goes final. And I do not think that it's that crazy to think that it will happen before the end of this year, which that's only a, that's only a few months away. Everybody, as we talk about all the time. The average timeline for a lot of companies uh, that are the average size in the DIB is 12 or more months to go from average to assessment ready. And one of the things that we talked about CS2 Boston earlier, one of the sessions at CS2 Boston is going to be our own Daniel Acreage, along with the great and powerful uh, Ryan Bonner, who's uh, been a, a, a past guest on the show, uh, CMMC wizard extraordinaire. They're going to be talking specifically about how long does it take the average MSP to go from average MSP to certified under CMMC? Because that's going to be a real constraint if, uh, is, as we've talked about before, if your CMMC, or sorry, if your MSP is not planning on getting their certification before the 32 CFR rule goes final or right as that 32 CFR rule goes final, you have a serious problem on your hands. Because if you're using an MSP and you need a CMMC certification level, they have to achieve the equivalent level. And uh, as we said, for the average company, it takes around 12 or more months. For the average MSP, it can take way, way longer for them to change their service delivery. Their business model just does not facilitate a compliance and security transformation, uh, even more so than just the average manufacturer sort of defense contractor. So uh, not an instant one. It, definitely not an instant no, one. Like it, yeah. it is a huge transformation. Trust. Yeah, so if, if you're listening out there and you use an MSP, make sure you ask them, hey, are you planning on getting your CMMC cert? And are you planning on getting it by the end of 2024 if DOD can work this system and get the final rule out before the election? Because that's not that far away, everybody. I, so before we move on to the, the next thing on our list, I just have a question. It's maybe personal. It is it's for personal um reasons but uh so one of the things that surprised me when it came down to 32 cfr was hearing that an, an association asked for an extension what are the the thresholds for you to be a, an association that is recognized enough to, to reach out to the dod and be like hey can we get a, an extension to this timeline that you set for everybody like yeah. is it can well, we form the jason and jacob association anybody like, yeah oh, anybody so it's, oh, really? it's so it's so ironic because as we talked about with uh with jim dempsey you know, rulemaking is done uh, it, interacting with regular citizens and unelected bureaucrats who work mm -hmm. at the federal agencies. But ironically, it is really the closest thing that the average American will ever experience to a pure democratic exchange because anyone can submit comments and you will be speaking directly to the people who are sure. creating something that has the force of law at the end of the day. So anyone can submit a comment and say, we need more time to comment. We need an extension period. 
Now, a consortium of industry groups, NDIA, AIA, a bunch of others, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, various chambers of commerce and things like that. They all got together and formed a meta group, uh, a Voltron of industry groups and said, uh, we all think that there should be an, uh, a comment period extension of another 60 days. Uh, and DOD uh, confidently and quickly said, we're not doing that. Um, yeah, that that definitely points to before the election. In my th- eyes. I mean, they're not. Yeah, they're not doing the comment period extension. They're already adjudicating it. Comments are very low and not that complex. And so unless something really crazy happens, I just I'm not saying that it's a guarantee that it will happen because you can't or- say that it's a guarantee because this is the same organization in the government that told us that the rule was ready to go over to OIRA for five and a half months. Straight. For sure. So, no, for sure. Now, what yeah, I'll say like, is, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I personally, I want them. Yes, please. I hope that this is accurate. I hope this is correct. But realistically, like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, fool can't get fooled again, right? Like so, we're just not. We're gonna shout out to GW, but like <laughs> watch here's this. Here's the deal. Yeah, yeah watch this. Drive, dude. Okay. So well, so here's the thing. The historical averages say that DoD will take up until Q1 to publish the final, uh, the final rule for 32 CFR. The the question to ask in your mind is, given what we know about no comment period extension, uh, low amounts of comments, them saying they're already adjudicating them, their obvious motivation to go faster and get done, and the trend of midnight rulemaking being finished in the final year of administration, do you think that it is reasonable to expect that they could go a few months faster than average? You know, maybe, maybe not, but it's definitely something to be aware of, especially if you're using an outsource provider uh, something that we're going to talk about in CS2 Boston. Okay, here's a, a big one. The center of gravity Absolutely. of all of these conversations is DFAR 7012, right? The requirements that you are required to implement are pointed to from DFAR 7012. The attestations that you have to make and the assessments that you have to undergo through 7019, 7020, 7021, and CMMC all revolve and orbit around DFARS 7012. And DFAR 712 has not been revised since 2016. You know, we talked about this on a past episode, but there is a uh, move now to revise and update DFAR 712 to do a couple of things. One is to incorporate references to NIST SP 800172. So if you currently look at DFAR 712, which everyone should, uh, you'll notice that there is no language in there that points to 800.172 because the last revision predated the publication of 800.172. And ironically, uh, this is exactly the problem that CMMC 1.0 had, where they pointed to a set of requirements that were not contained in existing contract clauses, and they had to align directly to the NIST standards that they could point to. So they need to hurry up and revise DFAR 7012 to point to 172 for all the folks that are going to need CMMC level three. One of the interesting parts about pointing to NIST 800-172, which revision are they going to point to? Because currently you're on just the the OG version of 800-172 as it was originally published. That's getting ready to be revised up to 800-172 Rev 1, probably by the end of this year. So will they specify a revision? This has been a longstanding debate. Uh, with 800-171, because the current version of 7012 does not specify a revision. It says whatever the most current revision is, but the CMMC rule does specify a revision. So the big question here will be, what's DFAR 7012 going to be updated to say? 
is the CMMC rule specifying a revision the anomaly, or is the 2016 version of 7012 specifying any given version of 7012 the anomaly? Uh, so that'll be very, very important to watch. One of the other things that they're going to be doing is harmonizing certain terminology. So remember, mm -hmm. FedRAMP equivalency is not a CMMC thing. That's a DFAR 7012 thing. And that memo that came out at the beginning of the year uh, really sent some crazy shockwaves through the ecosystem. So how will they update DFAR 7012 on the equivalency piece? Will it match the memo? Will they walk certain parts of the memo back? You know, the rule is going to take precedence over whatever the memo interpretation is. So very important to pay attention to the 7012 revision when it comes out for that, as well as the fact that controlled defense information as a category describing different kinds of controlled unclassified information is very confusing. If you talk to DOD people one-on-one, -on -one, they'll tell you that they all acknowledge it was a mistake to call it de controlled defense information, but the only way to change it is to go through freaking rulemaking. So they just left left it in there for years to just let everybody be confused by. I have a feeling that they're going to change controlled defense information to no longer be a term. And who knows what other terminology they're going to harmonize. They're going to be addressing international agreements. We sometimes hear this with CMMC where people say, well, they don't really address the international reciprocity question in the CMMC rule. That's going to be centered in the 7012 rule. CMMC is going to follow along with that, probably through a bunch of bilateral agreements and memos and other things that are going to come out. But 7012 is where that stuff is really going to live. Uh, they say that they're going to be streamlining the vendor identification process, which nobody really knows what that means you, yet. Uh, dude, I was literally going to interrupt you and ask. I have tried to rack my brain as to what this means. And I, I just can't come up with it. Yeah, Nobody knows what it means, but it's really provocative. I'm sure it'll be a, a barrel of laughs when it comes out for whatever good idea they're going to come up with in the rule. And then who knows what else? This is just the generic description that's in the unified agenda. Now, the latest unified agenda, fall of 2023, that comes out in the wintertime, does not have this 7012 rule listed. Uh, it's still in draft, still coming together. So there's no official, unofficial ETA uh, until we get the spring unified agenda, which I know is confusing, comes out in the summertime of 2024. Uh, I would expect that this rule is still being drafted. They still have to do their internal review, their interagency review. That's we're basically with the 7012 rule where we were with the CMMC proposed rule that we got in Christmas time. So I would estimate that its its proposed rule for DFAR 7012 revision would come out sometime around fall winter of 2024 so the end of this year maybe a christmas present everybody for the dfars 7012 revision so we're gonna get a veterans day present you think and then a uh, christmas present is, is the way you're looking at it since you don't you're yeah. not big on thanksgiving right so like, <laughs> yeah 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 i didn't want to say a thanksgiving present um so i I have to think that with the amount of comments going through and reading the comments on the 32 CFR rule um, that revolve around what revision of NIST 800-171 is specifically called out, like, you know, like they're, they're, they're calling out Rev 2 in the 32 CFR rule. And that, that looks a little crazy to me, Jake. No, no. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I would imagine that at some point in time, given the timeline of how these are aligning together, that hopefully the amount of comments flooding in saying that there's something wrong with this um, from one perspective or another, somebody budges or they actually, I don't know, cooperate with one another and figure out what the best pathway is. 
it is going to be absolutely devastating if this isn't solved, right? Like, well, it, 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 the, the it's going to turn into the, a, the revision issue is a problem because as it's written right now, you're going to be assessed against 171 Rev 2. As mm-hmm. 7012 is written right now, when 171 revision 3 comes out, you're obligated to implement that revision. And there is a not insignificant delta between those two different baselines. And so you have to juggle different baselines. It's a huge mess. It's a huge problem. We still don't know if the DoD is going to issue a class deviation for the current 7012 that gives people an extension on how long they have to implement the delta between 171 Rev 2 and 171 Rev 3. So this 7012 thing that, you know, we're talking about how it might not come out until the end of the year. <laughs> uh, they need to hurry up and come up with some answers because it's it's very confusing. And, you know, the debate around burden and complexity and self-attestation and, and the impact that, that has on implementation rates is one thing. It's a whole other thing to say, we're going to assess you against a previous baseline and we're going to require you to implement a new and different baseline in the meantime. And you have to go back and forth between the two. That's that's a really unnecessary uh, complexity that they could easily get rid of. But these things move slowly. So it's something to be aware of. Beyond that, the thing that I think that people should know the most about the 7012 rule is the number one thing that you hear about CMMC is the cost. And every time that they respond to comments, they'll say, CMMC is not requiring you to implement these things. It's verifying that you implemented these things. If the cost is a problem, you got to take that up with the NIST requirements imposed on you by 7012. So when the 7012 rule opens up for comments, that's the place to submit your comments on the cost and burden and complexity of the underlying requirements, right? Rather than the CMMC rule. So a lot of these comments that are coming in on the CMMC rule Save those for the 7012 rule that come out because that's the that's the the one that actually requires you to implement the NIST requirements and then uh, you know actually uh, deal with those corresponding costs. So think about this: we've covered four topics already. We have two more to follow this, three more to follow this uh, to, to get to the seven. But looking at the list of the topics that we're covering, there's three things that they all have in common. One. They all apply directly or indirectly to the defense industrial base or DOD contracting base, right? Two, they involve change. And three, they're all going to happen by this time next year. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff that's going to be that's lined up to happen. Now, the next two here are not technically rules, but we're including them totally not to get to seven uh, by any means, but because <laughs> they're, they're directly relevant and everybody needs to know. So the fifth item here is the NIST SP-800-171 revisions. So... Uh, 171 revision three, 171A revision three. Like we said, these are not rules, but they are relevant because they're imposed on you by Mm -hmm. the other DFARS rules. They're assessed by the requirements in the other DFARS rules. So NIST's latest webinar on the final public draft, uh, that comment period is now closed. They said that they expect the final revision official done in the books, written in stone, to be out by around May of 2024. Uh, So late spring is typically when they shoot for these things. Uh, The gap between 171 Rev 3 and 171 Rev 2, how the DFARS rule with 7012 is gonna handle that versus how the CMMC rule with a 171 Rev 2 is going to handle that, we still don't know. Um, uh, And so we don't know how this problem is gonna get sorted out. We don't know if there's gonna be a class deviation. People need to pay attention because 
if there's no class deviation that gives you some extended period of time to implement this delta, then in May of this year, when those revisions come out, you are obligated to then implement 171 Rev 3. I assume that this means that there's going to be an updated scoring methodology for calculating your SPRS score because there's new requirements. There's expanded requirements. Are the values going to change? Who knows? Hello, like DOD, hello, is anyone there? This is like a couple months away and it's, a, it's the biggest change to 171 since it was published in 2015 because previous revisions added like one requirement, changed some wording. Uh, this is like a 30% or more increase over that original baseline. And it's happening in May. Yeah, that's why on the last one, we talked about the 7012 clause or the rule um, and, and how that clause plays out as to what they dictate or what the rule and the 32 CFR rule dictates, because um, this is changing. NIST has been very, very consistent on their cycle. So yeah. when they say it's going to be done at this point in time, it's going to be done at this point in time. And then that puts it in there. And if DFARS doesn't change, if 7012 doesn't change, then that creates a huge problem. And at some point in time, things are going to turn into a jumbled mess. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, related to this, also not a rule, is the 172 revisions. So we're going from 800-172 to 800-172 revision 1 and 800-172A to 800-172A revision 1. Like we said before, DFAR 7012 does not mention 800-172 at all. Uh, and so they need to revise DFAR 7012 at a minimum to at least include that language because CMMC is assessing that set of requirements, but it's not imposed on you by anything in particular. And as we said before, that's exactly the situation that CMMC 1.0 had where they imposed a bunch of requirements onto DIB contractors that were not written down anywhere. Uh, so they definitely need to get that sorted out sooner rather than later. One thing to know about 172, it is not limited in size by the size of the 853 moderate baseline in the way that 800-171 is. So 800-171 is a subset of the 853 moderate baseline. And we've talked with Ron Ross about this before, uh, that is the upper limit of how large 800-171 could possibly be. It can't be any larger than the 853 moderate baseline. That is not the case with 800-172. They can tailor in controls from wherever in the 853 catalog that they want to. And something that a lot of people don't know, as big as the 853 catalog is, it's over a thousand controls and enhancements at this point, the majority of those controls and enhancements are not in any given baseline. They're just there in the dictionary for you to select if you need or want to. So NIST has no, uh, no upper limit on the type or uh, sorts of controls that they can tailor into that 172 baseline. So the revision to 172 can include some very esoteric and therefore expensive controls and requirements. Uh, so it's definitely something to pay attention to if you are going to be one of those companies that for whatever reason needs to or wants to get a CMMC level three certification. It's already very expensive. It could potentially get much more expensive depending on how they tailor 172 by the end of this year. Yeah, well, we know that the enhancements that are founded 172, uh, you know, are meant to serve a purpose for controls from 171. So which one of those do they decide to enhance? Um, and the way that they create those enhancements, like you said, 
is the extraction of just different uh, control enhancements throughout 853 moderates baseline to compile it to to amplify the capabilities of a particular control found in 171 right and, yeah. and so um without without that limitation you can kind of at least or without knowing um the details as to exactly what's going to be enhanced you can at least look at the the rev3 baseline or, or the rev3 um guidance document and make sure that see anywhere for opportunity for improvement i think is where it is but that also doesn't account for areas where they just didn't improve on the already existing 110 from rev2 so yeah um, i think it's a wide open door i'm i'm particularly partial to um my excitement for 172 coming out then yeah i mean it's interesting because you know with 172 they're not constrained by the language of the cui executive order to only protect data confidentiality they can they can do the whole cia triad they're not constrained to just the moderate baseline. Uh, so there's a lot of different options that they have there. On their latest webinar, they said they expect that to be out and done by the end of the year. So we should be seeing the draft of 172 and 172A uh, here pretty soon. Uh, but something that people definitely need to pay attention to because that's what CMMC level three assesses. Okay, last item here, the seventh one, the big daddy rule of them all, the white whale of the FAR, DFARS, cybersecurity rule landscape is the FAR CUI rule. We've talked about this a little bit in the past, but the federal CUI program has three parts to it. It has the federal CUI regulation, 32 CFR 2002. That's the one that causes the agencies to have to stand up a CUI program. You have NIST SP 800-171, which represents the minimum baseline for protecting that CUI data when it goes outside of the agency environments. And then we're supposed to have the third leg of the stool here, which is the FAR CUI rule, so that when CUI goes out of federal environments and to contractors, that contract clause, the FAR federal-wide contract clause, imposes 800-171 and all the CUI governance and data protections and controls and requirements on those contractors, not just the DOD, right? The DOD with their DFARS rules, DFARS 7012 and so on, have sort of moved ahead of the FAR CUI rule because they determined that they can't wait around for the overall FAR rule to come out. Because at this point, we've been waiting for this rule for like six or seven years. Uh, it is very delayed. If you go back in time, um, to 2016, 2017, you couldn't listen to a webinar. Uh, it's still in the footnotes of 800-171 today. Everybody talked about the FAR CUI rule as being the unifying thing. Even in DOD's 2016 rule that revised 7012, they said, we're only doing this temporarily. And then as soon as the FAR CUI rule comes out, we'll update this language to point to whatever that happens to say. And, uh, it, as time has gone on and as the rule has sort of just been languishing, people have associated all this CUI 171 stuff with just the DOD, and that's that's not true. So the description of the FAR CUI rule from the Unified Agenda says this rule will apply the controlled unclassified information program requirements in federal contracts in a uniform manner to protect CUI. This rule is one element of a larger strategy to improve the government's efforts to identify, deter, protect against, detect, and respond to increasing sophisticated threat actions targeting federal contractors. 
This rule is being issued in accordance with the NARA regulations implementing the CUI program per Executive Order 13556, issued November 4th, 2010, as implemented in NARA's implementing regulations, parentheses 32 CFR 2002. Sounds just like the language used in 7012, 7019, 7020 for the DOD specific rules. Sounds just like the language they use in CMMC, but this is the federal wide version. Now, interestingly, this rule was sent up to OIRA for re pre-publication review in the summer of 2022, and then OIRA sent it back for revisions, which OIRA can always do. And it has been uh, in the process of updating those revisions and the interagency process of updating those revisions since August of 2022. The unified agenda from the end of last year says that the proposed FAR CUI rule should be out in February, but the FAR Council has missed every single estimate for when they were going to publish this rule going back to... Like as in now? And now February? Like now? Like right now. Like right now. Like happy Valentine's oh. Day. Here's the FAR CUI rule, but it hasn't I mean, been sent up to OIRA yet. So the whenever government you really hear, likes their holidays. Yeah, whenever you they, they hear really like the, the holidays. Uh, yeah, whenever you hear the estimates out of the unified agenda, as we've talked about before, those are those are dated from like seven or eight months prior to the publication of the unified agenda. So it's a total swag as to yeah. whether or not they're going to hit those deadlines. Uh, the, the real thing to look at is, has the rule gone to OIRA for pre-publication review or not? That's how we know that uh, the 48 CFR rule is not going to be published in March uh, for CMMC because it's not at OIRA yet. And they have 90 days to review it before it gets published. So definitely not going to happen in March. Anyways, the reason that it's important to know about the FAR CUI rule is that it is the giant meteor that will hit the federal contracting ecosystem. DFAR 7012 and its obligation to implement 800-171 requirements causing lots of pain and issues for defense contractors is not an anomaly, right? All of those issues will happen to the other federal contractors in the supply chains from other federal agencies as soon as that FAR CUI rule rolls out. In some situations, the pain points and complexities and burdens will probably be worse because some of those other supply chains are not quite as used to some of these requirements and issues like the DUD supply chain has been used to over the years. So the uh, uncertainty range here, the cone of uncertainty for the FAR CUI rule is as wide as the calendar is long for 2024, but just realize that it's out there on the horizon. The rule does exist. It's gone up to OIRA before. Uh, so I would imagine that there's a very strong chance that it gets published this year. We talked about that midnight rulemaking trend beforehand. And so if that ends up being true and some of these, you know, more speculative guesses end up being true, we're going to end up with five different cybersecurity rules coming out this year and two different revisions to the underlying NIST requirements that correspond to those rules. In comparison to 2021, 2022, and then up until December of 2023, this is like an unprecedented amount of rulemaking activity and changes and things like that. So that's the overview of what to expect moving through the rest of the year. I personally hope that it doesn't all get backed up and then just drop all in December. Uh, please, it would be wonderful. Government, DOD, FAR Council, if you're listening, please stagger them through the year for our sanity's sake. Um, but they're going to happen sometime this year. I just hope they're not all clustered together. But uh, I just 
for when it comes to the farce UI rule, the only thing that I consistently go back to is um, many conversations as a consultant where these people were like, we only do a very little bit of DOD business. We do other federal government contracting business. We're just going to drop this DOD business line and be good to go. We're not going to do the CMMC thing. I mean, and then we'll, we'll see. We'll see if yeah. that works because, you know, it's not a rule. It's not anything like that. But that FAR CUI rule is going to be very motivating for other agencies to require things like CMMC certifications to prove that the same requirements in 171 are being implemented. Those certifications are not unique to DOD just because DOD came up with the program. Anybody can go get the certification if they want it. So, yeah. All right. We're going to have final CMMC rules. We're going to have proposed CMMC clause rules. We're going to have new NIST revisions. We could potentially have the overall FAR CUI rule. We're going to have expansions to the DIBCS program. There's a million things happening. It's still Q1, uh, but that's what's going on. And so we'll revisit this at the end of the year, along with our prediction show that we'll link to from a couple weeks ago. We're going to be talking about all these things and more at CS2 Boston in early April. Remember the discount code Summit Up Boston is in the show notes below, along with the link to the website and the event agenda. So check that out. Let us know what you think. Did we miss anything on the calendar? Do you think they're going to beat the election with the CMMC rule? Do you think we're ever going to see the FAR CUI rule? Let us know, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>